So I'm just going to share a little bit from the notes that I made of the things that we talk about. You said your dad was never there. There was those moments where you walked off the sports field and you hoped, that was the one high five you hoped to, to get. That was the one smile you hoped to see. That was the one pat on the back that you hoped to get. Standing alone on the field, looking around, everyone has got someone cheering them on. You, you look around and he wasn't there. And it wasn't just then, it was, it was more than that. It was over and over. The same thing happened. All the big moments in your life, all the transitions in your life, he wasn't there to, to guide you, he wasn't there to show you the way. He wasn't there in those emotional times when you need just someone to talk to. He didn't talk to you about sex, but your cousin did. He showed you the way. Those moments which you try to forget where the two of you stumbled upon some material that, that harmed you for the rest of your life. And you got hooked. Because that's what boys do. But it was more than that. It was more than just watching. It was more than just experimenting. It was a shameful moment. Yes, he touched you, but you also touched him. It's a defining moment in your life. It's something you hope to forget, something you wish never happened. Who am I? The big question that you walked around and you hoped that there was just this one person that could give you that answer, but he wasn't there. He didn't know. He didn't care. But you said, but that's what all real men do. You look around and you say, well, if, if they drink, then I drink. If they smoke, then I smoke. If they talk that way, then I talk that way. If that's the way they, they go with girls, and then that's the way I go. So you've picked it up, and you've, you've walked that way. You showed everyone the real man, because that's what real men do. Then she walked out on you. You didn't expect that. You didn't see that coming. I mean, your mom was like stable. She was always there. She was, she was the one person that kept you going. It was the person holding your whole story together. But, but she, she walked out. And she didn't give you that answer. She didn't say it's this or that. Remember, she said, you're a nice guy. You're a good guy. I just simply can't. And you wonder why. You start to wonder, so what is wrong with me? Something must be wrong with me. And you're reminded of that ancient wound in your soul, that longing, that desperation of belonging, that desire for connection. You hope that this will be the relationship where you're going to find it. And, and she just walked out. She's gone. You're abandoned. You're alone. You're vulnerable and you hate it. You hate the very moment 
of being so vulnerable. And you ask the question, am I really man enough? How am I going to show everyone that I'm a man? You struggle at work. You struggle with your performance. You just struggle to be a man. You're among the guys, but you're not one of them. You're trying to, so hard to fit in. You're trying so hard to, to make them believe, to convince them that you're one of them, but it's as if no one is giving you that validation. No one is confirming back to you that, that, that you belong. And now he died. He's gone. The one you hoped would be the one giving his blessing to you. He's gone. You can't have that conversation. You tried so many times. You've reached out. You, you just tried and tried, but there was no response. He, he never cared. He was never interested. Or maybe he was, but he, he couldn't show it. He couldn't say it. You couldn't feel it. There's so many things you wanted to say, so many things you want to restore and resolve with him, but you can't. He's gone. You sit with this pain, this agony. You can't even mourn or grieve properly because you're stuck. You're stuck in the frustration. You're stuck in the anxiety. You're stuck in the anger and the irritation. Everything is wrong. Everyone is just pushing your buttons. You just wish everyone would just leave you alone. And that's it. That's exactly where you are. Alone. You think to yourself, who's going to miss me? Who will notice when I'm not there anymore? They don't care, so I don't care. And you said, it's over. I also wrote here that you mentioned that you remember when you walked out of the room and your mom looked at your little sister. She was twirling around. Both of you were twirling, twirling around with your beautiful dresses. And she looked at your sister and she said, Oh, she's so pretty. Look, she's so pretty. And everyone was making a fuss. Yes, you know, your mom was probably drunk at that moment and she didn't know what she was doing. But she made just a fuss of your beautiful little sister, but yet she didn't say a word about you, did she? No compliment, not even paying much attention to you. You also had a beautiful dress, didn't you? It was one of those moments. She could just, maybe just hug you or just say, hey, my girl, but there was no words coming from her mouth. It's as if she didn't see you, as, as if she didn't notice. Or maybe she didn't care. And even now, dressing up, you wonder, who notices me? Am I beautiful? Am I pretty? I'm going to try hard. I'm going to try everything. I'm going to eat what I should. I'm going to stay away from the food that I shouldn't. I'm going to be healthy. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to, I'm going to shop till I drop dead. I'm going to get whatever I need so that I can just 
that someone can just notice me. But he did, didn't he? You still get nervous when you hear someone dragging their feet because you hear that footsteps in the hallway. You could still hear the door squeaking open and he came into your room. You tried to hide, but you couldn't. It was so confusing for you. You felt guilty. You knew it was wrong. This shouldn't happen. He shouldn't touch you in this way, but it did feel in some way good. Maybe, maybe he was trying to say to you, you're pretty, wasn't it? Is that what you thought? Maybe that would answer the question. Maybe it was his way to notice that's what you thought. And you tried to reason out why is this happening to you. And suddenly you remember your little sister and you think, I must do everything in my power to keep this from happening to her. As long as he, do, as, as he does it to me, then that's okay. As long as he doesn't do anything to her. You tried to speak to your mom once, but she was just so drunk she could never notice what was going on. She was just out of it. She was just nothing. She didn't have control. She didn't have any sense of order. And you became the parent. You became the mom. You grew up. You were still a child, but you had to become the mom. You thought to yourself, maybe I should give this to him because... Maybe that's what he needs. I will give it to him. And it's not just about that. You took responsibility for things that it wasn't yours to carry. It was a heavy burden for you to carry. You you were only a little girl. You were a daughter, not a mom, not a wife. But you carried that. You became responsible. You became the example You became good with what you do. Clever, sharp, you studied hard, you worked hard. People started to notice you. People started to see you become a leader in society. You're someone that can be respected. You're always reliable. You're always there. And you were so hard on yourself, you beat yourself up and say, I will never make a mistake. I need to become perfect. And you do everything in in your power to to hide this brokenness, to hide the shame and the guilt. And the guilt is driving you, isn't it? It's pushing you to to try harder and to try harder. And you, you say to yourself, I cannot slip. I cannot slip. I cannot make a mistake. I can not make a mistake. And then it happened once. Only once you said. But it did happen. And now, having your first miscarriage, such a trauma to work through, such a pain, such a, your heart is ripped apart for what's happening right now, but the deeper pain in your heart is that you can't tell him. You can't tell him about the abortion. You can't tell him of what happened a few years ago, because if he finds out, and yet you said, it was only once, but you knew, you still know, You can't erase it from your memory. You sit with that shame. You can't get away from that. Going through life, almost invisible, 
not being noticed for who you are, only for what you do. Such a deep longing for you to be noticed. That someone can just get closer to you and know who you really are, but you're so afraid. You're so afraid if they come close, they're going to see what's really going on on the inside. You don't want them to know this, do you? And then he did it again. He did it again. He spoke to you in that way. He slapped you, didn't he? He slapped you in the face. And you lie about it. You're not honest. You're protecting him. You say, it's okay. I understand. Someone needs to take the hit. You're covering up for him. And deep in your heart you believe, I deserve this. I deserve this. And then you cry out and say, but why is it happening? It should stop. It should stop. And then he did it again. And you're at the point where you say, I cannot. I cannot anymore. So I just want to share a few thoughts, a few psychological facts about what's going on with your heart. See, God created us with legitimate needs for security, significance, and self-worth. To feel loved and accepted, to feel secure and safe. That's the way God created us. It's a legitimate need. God created us to feel that you are worth something, that you add value in relationships among your friends and your family. That you will be remembered for what you do. That you live a life of significance and purpose, waking up in the morning, having a calling and a purpose that, that gives you energy and that satisfies your soul. But because of sin, we've become separated from our Creator. We've become separated from our created purpose. We became separated from the source where we find our security, safety, and significance, and our self-worth. And as a result of that, the default starting point for us as human beings is a position of being insecure, of feeling insignificant and feeling inferior. You walk into a room and you feel less valued than anyone else around. You look at the job that you do and you say, this is, what's the meaning of this? I'm just a nobody. What I do is so insignificant, no one will even notice if I'm not there anymore. You're walking around from from one relationship to the other and one circle of friends and group and society to the other to find some sort of acceptance and belonging and you can't seem to find it. And then Satan comes and he tempts us. And he's saying to us that you can, you can meet this legitimate need but in an illegitimate way. He gives us an alternative solution of how we can meet this need. He said to Eve in the Garden of Eden, basically this, hey, you can be your own God. Why do you need God? God said, don't eat the tree, but I say, 
You can have the tree. You can be your own God. You can take control of your own future. You can take control of who you are. You don't have to be limited by what God says. You can be more than that. And he offers a solution alternatively to what God said. And then we look around to creation. We look around to the tree like Eve did, and we take the fruit. We take from relationships. We take from our spouses. We take from our work. We take from drugs and sex and alcohol and things around us. We take from life. We take from creation, and we say, this is going to satisfy me. This is going to fill my need. This is going to fill the void and the gap in my heart. And yes, you've been through trauma. Yes, you've been through so many things. Some of those things you can't even speak about. You don't want to speak about it. It's too shameful. It's too hurtful. And it's created this vacuum in your soul, and you want to deal with it, but you've been taught in this world to fill the gap with something else. And as we try to satisfy this need in a wrong way, all we do is ending up with guilt, shame, fear, and blame. All right, so I want to recap. These, are, these four things are in your heart. It keeps you captive. Guilt, shame, fear, blame. There's many more, but these four. So guilt, what is guilt? Guilt is basically being conscious of our mistakes, of our sin. It's feeling guilty for the things that you've did. You did it wrong. You did the wrong thing and you feel guilty about it. But guilt is also more than that. Guilt is reminding you of what you're supposed to do that you don't do. If you know, if you know you're supposed to do to, to gym three times a week and you don't do it, you feel guilty. Because you made a commitment to yourself and you don't do it. If you know... You're not supposed to look lustfully at a girl, but you do it. You feel guilty because you did it. And guilt drives you in a a lifestyle of performance from not doing what you should do and from doing what you shouldn't do. And you are stained. Your heart is stained with guilt. Guilt is a heavy burden to carry. Sometimes we feel guilty for things that was done to us. Sometimes we share the guilt with, with those who has perpetrated us, who has been the offenders to us. We justify the sins of other people and we participate in that and say, it's my fault, I will carry that guilt. That car accident was probably not your mistake, but you carry that guilt, you say, it's my fault. Guilt is heavy. The difference between shame and guilt is that guilt is focused on the things that we do or don't do. Where shame is something we wear on ourselves. Something, is, something you wear on your person. Shame is saying, you are the fault. You are wrong. There's something wrong with you. It doesn't matter if you do the right thing or you do the wrong thing. It's just who you are. There's something wrong. Something wrong with who I am. I'm not good enough. I'm not acceptable. I am ashamed. And some of you are here tonight and you, you walk with shame. Shame is something you carry. You carry it all along with you. You carry it into the workplace. You carry it into church. You carry it in your family. It's the way you present yourself. It's nothing to do with your personality. I'm an introvert, but it's got nothing to do with being shameful. Shame is it's, it's like a garment. 
You can't get rid of it. And then fear. Fear being afraid. Being uncertain. Being nervous. Being anxious. And it's because of a perceived punishment. Something bad is going to happen to me. Therefore, I'm afraid. I want to protect myself. I'm unsure. I don't know what's going to happen. Because maybe something bad's going to happen to me. So, I don't know. I feel afraid. I need to take control. And fear is driving us to take control of our own, own lives. And fear is running, uh, taking us in a place where we run and hide. We hide from life. We hide from pain. We hide from realities. You hide in your job. You hide in porn. You hide in all sorts of addictions. You hide because of fear. There's things you need to face in your life and you can't. You can't cope. Fear is a gripping emotion, but it's linked to a sense of punishment. Maybe God is punishing me. Maybe God will punish me. If God just knows about what I've done, He will punish me. And you withdraw. You withdraw into yourself. And then blame. The clever, the sharp, clever move that we make to deflect the focus away from ourselves. So that you don't have to deal with yourself. We can just say, but it wasn't my fault. It's his fault. It's her fault. She's, she, she's done that. You make sure that the focus is on someone else, that you don't deal with this. You want the spotlight to be turned away from you on someone else so that you can continue on the road that you're on. If you're confronted with this, you're going to say, no, it's not my fault. I, I don't have control over this. I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. It just happened because there's always a because. Now, our hearts were designed towards love and connection. The way God designed us was that our hearts could connect with God and connect with one another. It was not designed for our hearts to be filled with fear and self-protection. So what is self-protection? Self-protection results in a hardened heart where you cannot be vulnerable. You cannot dare to be vulnerable. You don't trust people easily. You don't allow people in. You're protecting yourselves. You're building a wall of protection around yourself. You make sure people stay away. You can have socials, but you keep them at the arm's length. The moment someone tries to come closer, there's that response. Because you've built a wall. You're trying to protect. You feel unsafe. You feel unsafe among loving people. You always want to be in control. You cannot handle that if you're not in control. Ask me. I'm a bit of a control freak. I know how anxious you become. We're not in control. Building a self-protection wall. It's almost like building a, a fortress. A tower of safety. Where you, from that position you can have control. It's like in the army, in the battlefield, having a stronghold from where you can control the rest of the battle. Only problem is someone else has built that fortress in your heart. It's been controlled by someone else and you know it. You don't, you're not in control. You're never in control. Either God is in control or Satan. 
There's only two powers, and both of them are higher than you. And you can choose to which you surrender. You can surrender to God, or you can surrender to Satan, but either of them will be in control of your heart. But you will never be in control. But you can allow God to break down the fortress, the stronghold that the enemy has been building in your heart. He's been given access to your heart somehow, maybe through trauma, like you just heard. Maybe just with a subtle little lie. Think about Adam and Eve. They were not traumatized. Eve wasn't raped. Adam wasn't beaten. God said, don't eat of the tree. And the enemy said, hey, what a nice tree. Eat from this tree. They just ate the wrong fruit. But stuff do happen to us. And it traumatizes us. And then in self-protection, we try so hard to keep the bad out. And by keeping the bad out, unfortunately, you're also keeping out the good. There's no space for the love of God to penetrate your soul because you're so much in control of keeping out the bad that you've got no idea how to filter to say, I need to get the good to come inside. So, Yaku said that before. A heart that has been deeply bruised, broken, or disappointed, struggles to believe near truth. I can preach tonight till I'm blue in the face. I can, I can read all the passages from Scripture. I can quote them. I can make you um, say it with me. I can make you memorize those Scriptures. Your heart will battle to believe that truth when it's bruised. Because there's another truth that overrides that. There's a truth of the experience that you had. I mentioned a few things of what's happening to people in real life, and maybe some of those things are happening to some of you. As I prepared, I just felt that some of you are actually sitting on that chair, and you knew it. As I spoke, you could see yourself sitting there. You could relate with what I was saying. And tonight is an opportunity for you, just for us, to just present our hearts before God and say, Lord, I want to I wanna step forward. I want to give you the opportunity to, to go deeper into my heart. I want to surrender those things that's keeping me in bondage. I want to trust you, Lord. I want to give you the opportunity to speak truth into my soul, to set me free. The Bible says you will believe the truth, you will hear the truth, and it will set you free. But you've heard many times truth being spoken, and you, you're not free. Why? Because of the bruises in your heart. You haven't dealt with your heart yet. And tonight is the opportunity for us to bring our broken hearts to God. To bring our hearts to God, which is so afraid. To bring the hearts of those little boys that's sitting here tonight, that little girls, wherever you got stuck in pain, that's where your heart got stuck. To bring that, to surrender that to God. To say, Lord, here I am. I'm afraid, but I'm going to trust you here. Maybe something bad in my life happened, and that experience has taught me certain things. I've learned some things that I shouldn't, and that's now driving me. It became my truth. Maybe it wasn't something traumatic. 
Maybe you were not traumatized. But in your walk with life, you heard the enemy's voice. He deceived you. He tricked you in very innocent things. And slowly but surely, you started to drift away from who you should be. Because you believed him. You believed him when he started to speak things in your life. Innocent moments for you and your little sister, both of you wearing the same beautiful dresses. The one got the praise, you just didn't get the praise. And suddenly you believe for the rest of your life. I'm ugly. No one will notice me ever. It doesn't always have to be trauma. I remember when I was small, I think I was about five years old, there was this moment where me and my dad had this thing, and a beautiful thing, a father-son thing, and a way of us showing some form of affection. And, and I remember this moment where he called me, and he asked me, hey, do you love me? And I would say, yes. And he would say, how much? And I would show him. I, I would say, so much. You know, playfully. And then I would say, okay, no, so much. You know. And if he drags on, I would say, okay, so much. And then I would give him a hug. Beautiful, innocent little thing. But it happened a few times. And then once, I remember, pausing for a moment as a five-year-old, reasoning to myself, don't know what reasonable abilities you would have at that age, but I reasoned. And I thought to myself, why does he keep on asking me if I love him? I, I told him so many times. I, I told him I love him. Why doesn't he believe me? Then I thought, but why is he not saying it to me? So maybe he doesn't love me. It was just a thought. It was just a thought. And I started to believe that. Maybe he doesn't love me. And from that moment, I became curious to find out whether that was true and I started to watch him from a distance and, and to see how he would act and to see if he would, maybe, maybe he would show me that affection or maybe he would say it to me. And every time he doesn't say it to me, every time he doesn't show it to me, I got the evidence. It became real for me. Yes, it's true. He doesn't love me. And my life drifted away from what could have been a a wonderful, beautiful relationship with a father that actually did love me, but didn't know how to show, show it or say it. But I believed something different. Chased me out of the house. I was waiting for that moment. In fear. Living in fear in a pastor's home. How fearful can it be to stay in a pastor's home? He didn't beat me. He did when I was doing something wrong, but I, he didn't like violently beat me. He didn't molest me. He just didn't show that love and affection that I thought I needed, and I believed that. I was captivated in my heart. I was trapped in my heart. And that's only one part of my story. Tonight, it's not really about my story. It's about what's going on in your heart. What are those innocent lies that we believe? And we need to realize tonight, like Yaku said, we will struggle to accept new truth with a bruised heart.
heart, if your heart is not being addressed, if the pain in your heart is not being addressed, you're going to forever try to suppress the pain. You're going to forever try to move from the one thing to the next, from the one person to the next, and try to, to quench the thirst of your soul. So let's see theologically, what is the Bible saying about this? How does God respond to our hearts? A very, very familiar passage in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve. The moment they ate the fruit, the Bible says, their eyes were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. You see, the things that we do is the, the moment we realize there's something wrong, I'm naked. The nakedness that we read about here is a, is a symbol of our shame, the things we are ashamed about. And the first response when we realize that we are in shame is we want to cover it up. Maybe you cover it up in your personality, the way you behave among people. You become the super funny guy and you always have jokes and you make jokes about everything. But you're never serious. Well, maybe it's not that. Maybe it's just the way that you just shut off. You just shut down. You just don't allow anyone in, in your space. But we find ways to cover up the shame. We find ways to dress up to the occasion so that no one would notice. You know, we have our okay and our fine faces. You know the fine faces? Hey, how are you? No, fine. And you? No, fine. I'm fine. And that's the way we go through life. We can't afford that life will see that we're not okay. You cover up. You're covering up the shame. And it says there that the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden. Yes, God. Hello, God is in the garden. God is here. They hear him. And the moment they hear his footsteps, this is what they do. They go and hide. Here's a bush. Okay, let's hide. Okay. <laughs> as if you can hide behind a tree from God. Hello. Okay, so let's play hide and seek. Right? But the hide, that's the impulse. Never before did they have the the inclination to hide from God. They were in relationship with God. They had connection with God. Their hearts felt connection. The moment sin entered their souls, they hide away. They run away. They are filled with fear. And then it says here that, but the Lord God called to the man. He asked this beautiful question. He says, where are you? Interesting that God didn't come and start by asking the question, what have you done? I think some parents typically come into a room that's where kids have messed up, and the first thing you ask yourself is, what have you done? He knows what they've done. He's asking a more important question. He says, hey, Adam, I don't understand something. Yesterday, me and you had this great conversation. You looked me in the eye. We spoke. You talked to me about everything. Where are you now? Why can't you look at me? Why can't you talk to me? Why don't you want to be with me? Why is it such a struggle for you to have that quiet time? Why are you shunning away every time I want to get near to you? He's asking a relational question. He's saying, where are you? Tonight God is asking that question, where are you? Where are you with your heart? You're holding your heart and you're running around with it. You're saying, I need Somewhere to go. I need something to fix this. And God is saying, where are you? I'm looking for you. Come. I need you to come and bring that messed up heart to me. 
God is calling you tonight. He's saying, where are you? Can you hear the voice of God? And his response was this. He says, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. I was afraid because I'm ashamed. The biggest thing in our lives to overcome is not the sin that you've done. Because for sin, we can just say, I'm sorry. We can repent. It's for us to acknowledge the shame. For us to overcome our pride. Shame and pride is the same thing, just presented differently. We think pride is someone being full of themselves. Pride is someone that's not willing to make themselves vulnerable. That's what pride is. Someone that says, I'm not going to allow anyone to see my shame. And he said to God, I realized I'm naked. I'm ashamed. I became afraid because you're going to punish me, God. You're going to do something to me. You're going to do something bad to me. I messed up. You're going you're to punish me. This is what they expected of God. Maybe that's what you expect of God. God's going to punish you for this thing that you've done or didn't do. And he asked them, who told you this? Did you eat of the tree? That's the only way you could have figured out what's going on now. And here's the blame game. The man said, the woman you put there with me, she, she. The moment you are confronted, you start to point the finger to someone else. Then God says, okay, Adam, you're such a blamer, but let's go to Eve. And he says, okay, Eve, she's the serpent. He. So who is it now? The man, the woman, the serpent. And God said to every one of them, he said, well, then you cursed. And the curse was spelled out. There was a consequence. None of them got away from the consequence. And here's the thing. Because of sin, because of their sin, and because of our sin, there's a consequence. Sin is cursed. As long as you stay on this road, you will walk a life being cursed. It's a cursed road. Thank God he didn't stop there. Because God dealt with sin. He said, this is cursed. Then he moved on beyond that point. And I think this is the most important thing for us to see. How did God move Beyond the point of cursing the sin and the sinfulness, the Bible says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve and his wife and clothed them. How did God do that? You see, when they covered themselves, they just took some leaves from the tree Things that wither, things that doesn't properly cover up, to be honest. You know? That was their best attempt. But it's only a tree. Unless there's some tree argus here that's going to convince me that this thing is alive, it's got a personality. Okay? But God did something more. God says, for me to clothe you properly, someone is going to have to die. 
Because the only way we can deal with sin if someone pays with their life, if someone dies, because you're supposed to die. God came to his first children, Adam and Eve, like his son and his daughter, and he says, you're supposed to die now. Because I said, the moment you eat of this tree, you're going to die. But God loves us so much that he says, I said that, and it's true. But to spare your life, I'm going to let something else die. Someone else is going to die now because I want you to, to live. I'm going to spare your life. And they witnessed the first slaughter of an animal on life, on earth. God was the first one killing something on earth. He killed an animal and he said, let this blood flow on your behalf. And he took the skin of the animal. God was the first dressmaker on earth. Did you realize that? The proper dressmaker. He's a fashion artist. He took a buck or something or a sheep maybe. The wool. <clears throat> and he weaved and he, and he made this beautiful garment. A garment is something that dresses you properly. The garment covers you from here to there. The leaf is going to leave it out. But a garment. And he's saying basically this. If you come to me, I will cover you properly so that you don't have to walk around ashamed. And we know that that was prophetically true of what Jesus came to do for us. Jesus is the slaughtered lamb of God. He just became man. God just took it one step further and he says, now let's become man ourselves. And he gave his life. He shed his blood. And now the Bible speaks about the garment of righteousness that covers us. And I know, I don't know your story, but maybe tonight you are stuck in shame. Or maybe tonight you are gripped by fear or whatever it is. But you feel ashamed. You feel exposed. Some of you have felt very uncomfortably exposed. Just knowing that you might possibly sit on that chair. But God is here tonight. And God is here to do this. He calls us. Even if we fear His name. Even if you run away by hearing Him coming. He's calling after you. He's calling your name. You can run. You can run. You can try to hide. God will come in His love. He's calling you by your name. He's saying, Adam, where are you? Some of you have heard this a few times. The whisper of God saying, where are you? Where are you? Tonight, I'm pleading with you, don't shut up that voice. Don't kill that voice that's calling to you. God is saying, I'm here. I'm calling you. And then he confronts us. Even if we blame. Even if we say, it's not my fault. It was him. It was Yaku. It was, it was them. I couldn't help it. If even... If we make so much excuses, he still confronts us. He's honest with you. He's saying, let's talk about it. Let's talk about this thing that you've done. Let's talk about what they've done to you. Let's talk about it. He's confronting you. 
And then God is here to cover up our shame. To say, let's deal with this properly. We're going to take a moment now just to create a moment where we can minister to one another. We're going to allow the ministry of the Holy Spirit tonight. As I said, I don't know you guys. I don't know your stories. I don't know where you are and where you're at. But God knows. Can I ask you to close your eyes? Let's become aware of the presence of God. And let's become aware of ourselves. As I spoke, there were things stirred up in your heart from your own life. And you felt at certain times very uncomfortable. And you said to yourself, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. But can I just ask you for this moment, just to allow that to surface. There's some pain in your heart that you've tried to numb out. You've used painkillers. You've used porn. You've used drugs. You've used sex. You've used women. You've used your job. You've become a workaholic. You've done so many things to numb out the pain, but it doesn't work. And I just ask you to allow that pain to surface. Feel the pain. Feel the fear. The thing that drives you crazy at night that you can't sleep. That anxiety in your soul. Feel that. Let it just rise for a moment. Don't push it down. Don't push it down. When you become aware of the things in your soul, the guilt, you know it's wrong. But you still do it anyway. Just feel the guilt. As you feel these things in your soul, I would like you to measure that for a moment. Measure it on a scale of 1 to 10. Ask yourself, how intense is this thing for me? Some of it is maybe on a level of 2, 2 out of 10. Not a big deal, but some things, you feel it there. It's 10 out of 10. It's strong, it's heavy. It's, it's a burden on your soul. And symbolically, I would like you to just, it's as if you take your hands and put it around your heart and holding your heart, that painful heart, it's hurting so much. And now you take that heart into your hands and you, you hold out your hands to God in faith. You're saying, God, here is my painful heart. Can I ask you to do that? So if you can relate with this message, if God is stirring something in your heart, if you know there's something in your heart that you need to deal with, won't you just take your hands as if you take your heart, present it to God in this way? And then we're going to pray into that. Thank you. Thank you. There's, there's some people here that needs this ministry. Just hold your hand as if your heart is in it. And by doing that, symbolically you are declaring, you're going to say, yeah, God, it's okay. You can work with my heart. I'm giving you permission. So as you become aware of your painful heart, I want you to now become aware of something else. Let's become aware of the presence of God. Let's become aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
See what He's doing with your heart. See how He's responding to you. See what He's saying to you. Hear what He's saying to you. Hear the words that He's speaking over your soul right now. And now I want to ask, just like God has called out Adam and Eve from behind the bush, and He said to them, you can come out now, it's safe. I'm going to call you out to say, because God is here, won't you come out of that hiding and please come stand here in the front where we can pray together. Come out of the hiding. Come out. It's safe. You can come out. God is saying, I am not like your former lovers. I am even not like your parents. I'm even not like the role models who've let you down. I'm also not like your previous slave masters who've kept you in bondage. God is saying over you tonight, I just love you. I just love you. I'm going to sacrifice. I've already shown you what sacrifice I'm willing to make for you. I just love you. I don't know. It's difficult for you standing here. You're feeling so vulnerable and exposed. And thank you for being so brave and courageous, making that stand. But you're not going to stand alone now. I'm going to ask, are there some people with empathy that would just want to come? You don't have to pray a very dramatic prayer. You can just come, put your hand on their shoulder. And just be an instrument of the love of God to flow through your hands into their souls. everyone that's in your chairs let's participate in faith by just stretching out your hands if you can just pray in your own language or pray in tongues just intercede now because God is now doing a very deep work here. thank you Lord thank you Lord for your touch let's start to pray for one another here in the front
As we prepared for this moment in prayer, God just showed me this picture first of, of a heart that's been locked. <laughs> and you've lost the keys many years ago. You don't even have the keys to unlock your own heart. But God said to me and he showed me how he's going to open this. And then we prayed again and then I saw many locks being locked tightly. Then I heard like a sound frequency. It was a frequency of a sound. And then the moment your heart hear that sound, that all the locks just opened up spontaneously like this. And in the name of Jesus, I'm proclaiming that now and I'm saying in the name of Jesus, let every bound up heart be unlocked in Jesus' name. In this moment, Lord, there's so many things that's bound us up for so many years. We don't know even where the keys are. We've lost control. But here we are, Lord, and now I pray, open up, open up the souls of the wounded people in this moment. And now, as you open up the hearts, you've already done it. Now let healing mercies flow, Lord. The, the good things from God that, that was held out by the enemy for so many years. We could never find those good things. We could never experience the goodness of God. You struggled so many times to experience the goodness of God. You doubted the goodness of God. And in this moment, he's just touching you. He's not even convincing you. He's not even speaking to you. He's just touching you. He's just here. His presence is doing that. Just allow that goodness of God to penetrate your soul. Just allow the goodness of God. Just allow this feeling of love and acceptance that you've been yearning for for so many years. And you, you, you don't know how it feels. It's strange to feel love. Just allow that for a moment. Just breathe it in. Breathe in the love of God. Many people said to you, you're nobody. You felt that you were a nobody. But God says, that's not true. I see you. You matter to me. I notice you every day. I notice the songs you sing. Faithfully, you sing those songs when no one notices what you sing. But God says, I notice that. I hear that song when you sing that. And it's beautiful to me.